RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. I am Tanner, and I ran the session that we're going to be talking about today, and I'm here with my um, my main host, Dusty. What's up, Dusty? Hey, Tanner. How's it going, man? I cannot complain. Legally, I'm not allowed to. No. Uh, we had a, a really good uh, game this time. Um, we kind of expanded on the hex dungeon format that we kind of introduced last time with Festung Castell, except this time I created a dungeon called the ruined asylum of Ulgreth. And um, yeah, we ran this in Scarlet heroes. My favorite dungeon name. Really? <laughs> I, 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 the ruined asylum of Ulgreth. Yeah. It, it's an awesome dungeon name. It, it It's way better than my like crappy castle fort, fort castle joke in Festung Castell. And I called my next thing that we'll talk about. I literally refer to it as the St. Patty's dungeon. So <laughs> in comparison, the ruined asylum of Ulgrith is incredible. Yeah, I, I rolled up uh, a random, I found like a random name generator online for wizard names and I got Ulgrith, but then I put an extra U at the beginning just to give it, you know, a little bit more flavor. You gotta have the extra U. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is sort of an evolution of what we talked about last time. So you ran a 14 room hex dungeon a 14 hex hex dungeon and i wanted to do the same except i kind of wanted to surprise you a little bit so what i did is i made a two level dungeon something that i really historically haven't done and that was such a huge part of dungeons back in the day is the idea that like you have five floors and floor two might be connected to floor four you know like really making these 3d so i tried to take baby steps to there. So I did, if you can imagine uh, dear listener two seven hex dungeons, like a little, like a hexagon and then a little flower of hexes around it. And two of those stacked on top of each other. So you had the, the main level, which was this old asylum for wizards who were imprisoned. And then the level below that, which was like a troglodyte temple that it was built on top of. And so I really wanted to experiment with this two level idea and see if the, uh, the hex dungeon worked for that format too. And I have to say when I realized what you were doing and it was, the, it was the, the two flowers of hexes on top of each other. And I realized that, you know, I just chose 14 rooms because it had kind of this nice shape that felt like a dungeon to me. And when I realized that with, with, with still 14 hexes, you were able to do two levels that had the same shape. I was like, Oh my God, that's genius. That's awesome. It's still, it's still 14 rooms. It, it, it never occurred to me to do the flower of hexes to, to like relay out the, the 14 hexes and, and still be able to get to, uh, I, I want to say symmetrical. That's the wrong word. What's the word when two shapes, are the same, like congruent, I guess yeah. two congruent shapes out of the 14 hexes. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, and you you did a really cool thing when you laid out your first kind of flat 14 hex dungeon, which is you made it and then you kind of put some walls in between some of the hexes and then you said, hey, Tanner, look at this. I can make all these different permutations of of where these walls are to make different things. And all I could think of was like, cool, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do a double decker. <laughs> so your resource is very good. And I might use it next time we do a dungeon crawl, but um, I wanted to try some, something new. I think creativity comes from two places. One is limitations, but the other is I'm not going to follow that rule. 
Um, so what did what did you think about the format? Did it work for a two level dungeon? It worked great. Uh, it it worked fantastic. I mean, first of all, let me talk about just being a player in a hex dungeon, which had been my idea. Um, it, it, it was great to unambiguously know where I was on the map relative to where I had just been on the map, which frankly felt realistic to actually being there. Like when, when you go to a physical space you've never been to, you might get a little turnaround, but for the most part, you generally know which direction the entrance was in. So that felt awesome. It felt, I got the pleasure of mapping. Like with the first 14 hex dungeon, I got the pleasure of running it for you. But this, for me, I think every dungeon master kind of secretly wants to play their own dungeon. And being able to like realize all the fun that I had hoped the player would realize and mapping it myself was awesome. And then when it wasn't my layout shape, when it was a new layout shape, that added to the fun because I would have known kind of what to expect had you gone with my shape. But but I think the two-level thing was awesome. At any given moment, just as if I mapped it on graph paper, I knew what I was under and what I was above. And you played with that. You had some cracks and stuff in the dungeon where knowing that was important. It made the space feel so much realer to me than Temple of a Thousand Swords or Temple of the Moon Priests or even even uh, Hideous Daylight. Like those Those felt pretty real to me and hideous daylight especially with the hexes laid out but moon priests and temple of a thousand swords in particular where, I, where we were like theater of the minding this dungeon this space the this ruined asylum felt so real to me in the moment that was that's so awesome. immersed that's great yeah uh, th- thank you for that um i i really tried to also make it i think all the best dungeons um, are a space that is like you know like a hostile space but it used to be something else too so the setup I had and I kind of did that like twice with this so we had the troglodyte temple in the bottom and then on top of that there was an asylum for insane warlocks and then that asylum is ruined and now there are traders who are harvesting the silk of the spiders that all the warlocks turned into. So I try, I tried to give it sort of a temporal, you know, like a time really what I'm trying to say, this is a four dimensional. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but you know what I'm, you know what I mean? I'm trying to, I'm trying to give it a sense of of history too. It was a hyper hex. Did you have fun? So it sounds like you did. Did you have fun creating the dungeon? I really, really did. Um, and there are kind of two components to that. So one, I was so inspired by what you what you did when you're like, yeah, I, I rolled everything on random tables uh, found in Scarlet Heroes to make this dungeon. I'm like, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. And because like I was, I, I knew I wanted to design a dungeon for you, but when you just have a blank piece of paper, boy, is that really really intimidating. Um, so what I did is. I did what what you did uh, rolling on tables in the back of uh, the Scarlet Heroes book, which is awesome. All of Kevin Crawford's games, including Stars Without Number and all of his other fabulous games, they have so many good tables. Like half the book is random tables. Um, And I also followed a guide that was posted on Patreon um, from one of my favorite RPG artists who goes by Skull Fungus. And... um, they did the same thing, um, but he he was like drawing a map. But he did the same thing for um, 
old school essentials, which is like another classic OSR type game. And and he and he was looking through all the uh, the the tables in the back of that and putting something together. So um, I'll send that link to you. You can put it in the show notes. I think it's actually like a free post. You don't need to subscribe to his Patreon to see it or anything like that. So, uh, but it was awesome to see like a step by step walkthrough of how to randomly roll a dungeon. As you created it, like, uh, did you feel limited by the hex format? Were you like, all right, this will humor Dusty and maybe it's interesting? Or did you find the hex format like something that was useful and fun to play with? It, it was very useful and very fun to play with because like, I knew that the bottom was going to be a temple, right? So I would go into the section of Scarlet Heroes where it says, here's a temple, here's a, a D20 list of rooms that are in a temple. I'm like, oh, okay, this one is the Acolyte Cells, this one is the Bathing Room, this one is the Prayer Halls. And so I was able to kind of put that together. The number <laughs> one constraint, though, was the fact that I, for some reason, decided to fit this onto one page front and back. I loved the bathing room, by the way. Oh, that was, that, <laughs> did you that, just remember that? <laughs> that was, yes, I did. That was hilarious. The one page, yeah, I had done that with Festoon Castle as well. We didn't talk about that, but I'd made it one page, and then you made yours one page as well, using kind of a similar tabular layout that I used for each room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I found that really successful, but boy, was it hard to kind of constrict. You know, I was using six-point font and, like, having to describe each room in, like, a sentence and a half. So I think yours was great. I prevailed upon you at the time to post it somewhere. And I don't think you felt like it. Could I prevail upon you again, quote unquote live in front of an audience to, to somehow post it somewhere? Yeah. By the time this goes up, I'll have a I'll link to it in the show notes. Just remind me and I'll, we'll, we'll make that work because yeah, I, I do think it's, it's worth sharing. I had fun making it and I had fun laying it out and stuff. So. And I would not share Festoon Castell for all the reasons that we talked about last time, but I think this one is so worthy of sharing. It's a great dungeon and a great way to try out this concept we're talking about. Um, so, Dusty, you played a, a new character this time, and you kind of um, approached it in it. Well, we ended up approaching it a different way. So do you want to talk about your character for this one and then kind of how exploring the dungeon went for him? So I try to play different characters and I'm a talker in real life. (laughs) Can't you tell? (laughs) And uh, they all wind up being talkers, but I try to have them be talkers with different personalities. And the way I do that, the way I try to branch out and not just be me is I try to be fictional characters. Uh, Bellman was Bella from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We've talked about that. When I played in your L5R game, I played a version of the Shredder just didn't tell you that so i try to be these fictional characters to like have a point of view and in this case i played a new character named stilton culpepper and i felt like i'd never played like lawful good before but Mm -hmm. but what people used to refer to as lawful stupid and i really wanted to be a lawful good character so if you're familiar with Discworld at all (laughs) dear listener i was basically playing in my mind a clone of carrot iron funderson do you have any exposure to Discworld, tanner I really don't. I'm I'm aware of it and uh, Terry Pratchett and everything, but I've not ever partaken myself. In the Guards novels, and Guards Guards is not my favorite Pratchett. Guards Guards is a little tough to get through, but you have to get through it to be introduced to Carrot. And then I think Carrot really blossoms in the subsequent Guards books. 
I think men at arms is actually a beautiful place to start, but carrot is this like really lawful, good kind of big, dumb fighter, but he's not, he's not dumb, dumb. He's just like simple, but simple in his place. In his case means very straightforward. So I was trying to play this like big fighter who's capable of being a pretty badass fighter, but who really didn't want to like, you know, be a bad guy. Didn't want to kill people. So I was sent to retrieve a, uh, uh, how do I put it? Uh, a MacGuffin mm-hmm. from this place. And I just talked to everyone and ultimately decided that taking the MacGuffin from these troglodytes who I had befriended was wrong. And instead as an archeologist type person, I guess, um, I drew pictures of the MacGuffin and studied the MacGuffin and took rubbings of the, of the engravings about the MacGuffin and brought all that back to my Patreon instead. So I just, I just didn't kill the troglodytes. I didn't do the thing where you come in as, you know, the adventurer and you wipe out the inhabitants and you take their stuff and you leave. I just, I just didn't do that. Um, And that was really fun for me. Did I, did I ruin your fun when I didn't fight the trogs? No, uh, I I think it would have been fun if you did. But again, we, we go back to those reaction rolls. I rolled a two d six, and I think I got either a an a eleven or a twelve on your reaction roll to these troglodytes. So they were instantly, if not helpful, like welcoming and letting you look around and stuff. And so that again, we we've talked about it before that there's three storytellers at the table. There's the GM, the players, and the dice, and the dice decided to pipe up and have their say and we both ran with it and i think we had a good time but were you disappointed at it at all that you talked your way through this i wasn't i was disappointed with something that i did later that we actually didn't think to put in the show notes oh okay do you remember when i completely gamed the defy death mechanic um yes when you're fighting ulgreth right yes yeah we'll we'll talk i i felt like i ruined your fun and i ruined a bit of my fun when i did that but we did we did end up kind of delineating after this like what should this ability be allowed to do right we kind of course corrected afterwards we did we 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 didn't go back to playing scarlet heroes afterwards to like test any of these theories yeah um but yes we we we, i think i think as much as i love scarlet heroes i think defy death is a little bit broken um but no i i I didn't i i actually worried less that i was disappointing you and more that oh no by befriending these trogs i'm suddenly put putting a tremendous amount of role play burden on tanner yeah <laughs> it's not that hard to role play a trog, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Um, so I have been subjecting you to my dungeon checklist, and it's only fair that I get a little taste of my own medicine, and you go through the list with me, and we'll see how I scored on the uh, criteria for an interesting dungeon. Ooh, ooh. Um, so I'll have to see if I can remember it. I'm, I'm gonna do this from memory. I'm not gonna refer to anything. I actually put it in the notes. If you oh, want. you did. I need to scroll yeah. down. I guess. Oops. I just copied and pasted it like just now. <laughs> but but now you'll sound really smart. Yes. Yeah. I won't edit any of. The, or I'll <laughs> leave all this. Uh, no. Anyway. Um, multiple factions. Yeah, absolutely. So the folks upstairs. I don't know what to call them as a group who were living in the ruined asylum harvesting the silk. That's a faction. The trogs downstairs were the faction. And then in a way, the spiders were their own kind of chaotic evil 
can't talk to them, can't communicate with them faction. So multiple factions, 100%, which, which made things very interesting. Things to talk to? Yep, absolutely. I think you intended that in the asylum level where there were those monks harvesting the silk. But then also, <laughs> I found plenty of reasons to talk to the trucks. Yeah. So there were lots of things to talk to. And the spiders being, you know, completely unable to reason with them uh, were absolutely things to fight. So things to talk to, things to fight, check. Items, traps, and puzzles to interact with. Um, maybe I'll disappoint you by not remembering any particular puzzles, except for the geography of the place itself and some of the cracks uh, and kind of figuring out where this idol or the statue that I was sent to pursue uh, was. So the place was a bit of a puzzle. Am I forgetting like a, a straight up puzzle? No, no. It, I was pretty light on doodads uh, in this dungeon. There were no levers to pull or crystals to align or anything like that. And I think if I were to do it again, like if I were really wanting to like publish this and put a, you know, put another pass of polish. I, w I think I would find something to like mess around with, you know? Um, but yeah, there, it was pretty light on that. And then half, half point, half point. Uh, and then something you should probably run from that was Ulgrith. And I, again, the dice, um, you rolled a random encounter where I randomly kind of saw Ulgrith right away. As soon as I entered the asylum and I was able to to retreat or get away, and he got away. That could have been a disastrous first encounter because I would not have anticipated encountering the boss of the dungeon, uh, the most difficult monster in the dungeon in the very first uh, encounter. So I would not have thought to use Defy Death. But yeah, uh, Ulgrith felt very dangerous to me, even though I took him out with no damage to myself and literally one hit. <laughs> well, before we get to that, and we kind of talked about that earlier, I... We, we've we've talked in past episodes about creating a toolbox for yourself, right? Um, and, and creating tools for, for running these dungeon crawls. And one that I kind of found powerful here was the random encounter table. So I think I could be wrong, but my understanding was that in classic random encounter wandering monster tables, it was literally a list of monsters there was a chance that you ran into one every turn and they were kind of there to keep you on your toes and keep things unpredictable. I am not going to claim credit for doing this the first time. I'm sure somebody has, but it was an original thought to me as far as I'm aware, which is I put other things in the random encounter list. So like for the upstairs, the the uh, asylum part, you could run into silk farmers or warlock spiders, right? Those were those are kind of standard baddies that you would find on a random encounter table. Uh, you could also have the floor collapse on you, which isn't really an encounter, but it's like a thing that could happen in this abstracted space, right? Um, one of the options was a magical trap that you ran into. Uh, again, because we're doing this hex dungeon style, we're not mapping room to room where I would put a trap on this X. You know, it was like during your exploration, we're kind of abstracting the space. Um, the fifth thing was a secure room to that you found a safe place to rest. And then six was Ulgrath himself. So there was a one in six chance that the boss of the dungeon would show up in a random encounter. So um, I'm personally proud of that random encounter table and how that kind of turned out. Um, I, I think it was pretty invisible to you as a player. Um, but now that you've had a, a look at it, um, what do you think that's something that you would do in the future? Or is that kind of not really in the, the realm of what you think 
random encounters should be. No, uh, absolutely. I think that I don't think you're the first person to do it because I'm pretty sure Andrew Kolb did it in Neverland, um, where the random encounter table wasn't just monsters; it was it was other like events. There were event um, random encounters. Sounds so, fake, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I think it's a I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, I'm laying out. Man, I say um a lot. I'm not going to edit that out either. That way, the the audience can enjoy my inner monologue as I talk. I'm laying out the Christmas Krampus dungeon that I ran for you later right now. And I had a random encounter table for that. It was just monsters and I should really add some events to it though. So it's a thing that I, that was transparent to me. I did. I do remember two of them though. I remember encountering Ulgrith right away. And I also remember finding a safe space to rest, even though I didn't need it at the time that I found it. So I do remember those things occurring. I think again, that along with the layout along with the layers of history that you did this was so immersive immersive is the key word for this dungeon that's really interesting because i have such a hard time with immersion um myself like there is never a moment in which i like lose myself in in a space or like forget i'm playing a game you know i've always kind of thought of immersion as sort of a foolish thing to try and chase for myself personally but it's really interesting that you responded that way to this one so maybe i have to dig deeper into this and figure out what i did right and it's interesting that you say that let me describe what i mean by immersion maybe this is a thing to talk about for a minute i don't mean that i literally felt like i was there um, I, I didn't like close my eyes and see the dungeon or anything. What I mean though is that it felt like a real thing that happened, not necessarily to me, but like a real thing that happened. So as we lay it out, it felt very grounded, it felt very realistic, it felt it felt like the stakes were real, it felt like um reading a particularly compelling historical account of a thing that really happened where you where maybe immersed isn't completely the right word but invested like I, I feel like these are things that really happened to a real guy named stilton culpepper and i was really invested in how it was going to turn out and i really enjoyed my ability to influence it i wasn't immersed in the sense that i was like wearing vr goggles and really thought i was there i was immersed in the sense that the stakes felt real to me and everything felt super reasonable to me and that made me invested. Thank you for explaining that and being specific because I feel like people say, oh, this is, game is immersive or this movie or video game is immersive and pe like, what does that mean? You know, I think, I think drilling down to what that means to you is a way more helpful way to think about stuff. So I want to spend a minute on this even outside this, this hex crawl. What does immersive mean to you? And, and forget tabletop, like, like, does it happen to you in video games? Like, what does immersive mean to you? Um, I guess for me, it's almost like a flow state type thing. Um, when I'm playing, um, a lot of people I think would probably get it from playing like a musical instrument or something like that, or even I can be like immersed in work. If it's like engaging the game, I think about being immersed in the most is doom eternal, a, a video game. And that game just strikes the perfect balance of you have to use your brain and think and prioritize and make decisions and manage resources. But at the same time, it's not a planning game. You have to be reactive and on the fly and everything. And I think that game is brilliantly designed and it gets me into the, the state where kind of both halves of my brain are being engaged where 
the analytical and the instinctive sort of sides, I guess maybe when those come together, that's when I'm immersed, you know, and I, and I stop thinking about the fact that I'm playing a game and I'm just doing it. You know, I, I don't, I'd have to think if I've really had that happen at a tabletop, I'm sure I, I have, but I would have to put a lot of thought into that. And then even recreating that, like, God, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. So. And I think an unfortunate thing too, it's amazing how different it's just the two of us. It's amazing how different experience the two of us have in the same dungeon. Like I don't think as a DM or GM, whatever your parlance is, you have the opportunity to be immersed. No, you got to be running the number. You got to be a calculator in the back of your brain, right? You got to keep the show running. You got to be a calculator. You've also got to be a bit of a director, a bit of like, and a bit of like, like, thinking about what what would happen and like you you know you're making it up so i think it's impossible to be immersed but then you're giving me this this you know immersive feels real feels grounded feels like the stakes are legit experience and how strange that the two of us played this dungeon for what two hours two and a half hours and had such different experiences yeah i'm glad we talked about it <laughs> yeah um yeah, so moving on from all that heady stuff, um, <laughs> uh, did you um, did you think that the occupants of the dungeon were too sympathetic? I, I, especially the the troglodytes. Like when when you talked earlier, and I, and as we were running this, the the thought came to my mind. I'm like, you would have to be a real kind of colonialist sob to just come in here, kill these guys, take their precious religious artifact, and abscond with it. You know, like. It, was that a failing that I kind of brought it into a space that made you feel bad about doing that? I did use the word colonialism in the moment. And boy, it, it really, I could tell from, from our video chat by your facial reaction that it hit you hard and you were like, oh no. And I didn't mean for it to hit you hard because I'll tell you to absolve you of any guilt you feel from laying the dungeon this way. If that reaction roll had gone the other way and you had rolled a two and they had attacked me, I would have I would have butchered every frog in that place. <laughs> okay. So no, you 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 didn't set them up to be too sympathetic. Number one, number two, I enjoyed that I had the opportunity to explore. No, I'm not going to be a colonialist asshole and like take their artifacts. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to go the the route that. Uh, I forget Thor's last name, but there's this guy, Thor, he wrote a book called Kentiki, where he explored the ocean and, and ocean currents in a mm -hmm. raft built using native standards. And, and he was he was a guy. Um, Thor uh, Heyerdahl. Yes. And he was a guy, Sweden, Norway, I can't remember. It all blends together for me. I, I apologize if you were Scandinavian or from a Scandinavian country. Spoken like a true Greek. Yes. But... Um, I enjoyed the movie Kentucky and I enjoyed the book Kentucky. I did read both those things, even though I forgot which specific country he comes from and how important he felt as an anthropologist about doing like learning about natives on their own terms and not on your terms as, you know, a white European. So it felt really fun to be able to do that, but I'm sorry if I made you feel like you wrote a colonialist dungeon. That was not my intent. That definitely did happen i i did go oh man i can't believe i just did that but at the end of the day the way that the dice fell and the fact that you did choose to kind of befriend these and understand them at your own terms and go back to your professor and explain 
you know, the situation and given the, like that it became kind of a richer game. And I think Stilton became a more interesting character for that. You know, he has, he might be lawful stupid, but he has an understanding side, you know? And I think that's maybe, um, uh, an aspect that a lot of lawful good characters kind of miss, you know, um, a, an understanding sympathetic, um, point of view and i think like i said i think the character in the game was richer for it but it did sting a little bit in the moment once i'm like oh i can't believe i just did that <laughs> but it's okay it, it's just it you know it's just for me and you i wouldn't put this uh out as an actual play for the the world to see and judge me but you know it's for us and the lessons that we learn and i know you as a person and you know me as a person so i think we both know it's it's joke I don't think either of us do RPGs for like any sort of sense of therapy, but no. isn't it, isn't it funny how issues come up and, and you have to think about them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, again, you, you didn't do that. And again, I seriously would have butchered every trog in that place. Just like I did, <laughs> just like I did the spiders had the reaction roll gone differently. Wow. It's just a roll of the dice to see what kind of guy you are when it comes down to it. And maybe that sheds some light on why some people's come together and a lucky dice roll, lucky circumstances, lucky good temperaments, great relationships form, and other times people kill each other. Anyway, give me yeah, we're we're discovering all the secrets of the human condition and stuff in this one. It's all random. Did yeah. you have fun running the dungeon? So I was immersed playing it in a way that you couldn't be but was it still fun for you and actually to dig on that even differently what what is what is fun for the gm in the moment do you only have fun afterwards when i'm like yeah that was a good game or are you having fun in the moment like what's that like what was running this like so i would say for this one in particular and this isn't the case for everything i run but i would say the prep and the layout of the document was almost as much fun as like running it, like like the randomly generating the dungeon, trying to figure out how what all these things mean, being satisfied at my very cool random encounters and random spell lists. Like that was a type of fun that was almost more than the actual running of it for this. Um, it was fun in the moment. I love, I like I love when the dice give me a role-playing prompt with a reaction role that I've got to figure out like that, that kind of stuff is fun. Like, I don't think I would have fun running a dungeon that I already know what the procedure is going to be, you know, like a linear dungeon with everybody's attitudes predetermined. And I know this monster's here and this monster's here. Like, I don't think that that could really satisfy me anymore. I would need, like I'm designing a little game for myself in the, <laughs> in the prep to play while I'm playing with you too. Does that make sense? It does. I'm going to ask you a completely self-indulgent question and then I'm not going to mentally prepare at all. I'm just going to listen to you. Well, cause I assume you're going to ask me a very similar question, but I'm, but I'm not going to prep. I'm just going to purely listen to you. Here's my self-indulgent question to get some feedback from you is about my style as a player and whether you had fun here. If you were talking to a fellow GM, to another GM, who was going to run me in a one-on-one -on -one game, pretend like I'm not sitting here. Imagine you're talking to that GM. What would you tell them about running for Dusty? It's a great question. I would say that um, Dusty is a very thoughtful, engaged player who really wants to understand all aspects of how stuff works. So you should make sure that stuff is robust and at least internally consistent so that you have a reason for this or that to be in this place or that place. And um, 
yeah just to just to make sure that you kind of have all your ducks in a row not in a bad way but like you know the what dusty was talking about with his immersion and understanding a sense of place that's something that he values so you should take that in, in mind when you when you uh, design a dungeon any that's a very falls? hard question to any, answer on the spot <laughs> any, any pitfalls running for that guy what should i watch out for when i run for that jerk um, he will try to talk to something first, probably, which is fine. But you just got to be you just got to be prepared for it. So, if you really want something to uh, to to fight him, just d- try not to make it sympathetic. <laughs> awesome. True, true or false? True. <laughs> yep. True. About I, me. Oh man. Okay. Um, what's it like to run for Tanner as a player? And again, I, I was honest. I did not mentally prep. I was fully engaged in listening to you and not mentally preparing <laughs> my own answer. And I, I, I need to get better at doing that and like having my answer like super blithe and ready to go. What's it like running for Tanner? Uh, Tanner's very into the mechanics of the game. So be be ready to know like like what dice do what. Like know the system. If Tanner knows the system better than you, I think he'll be disappointed. <laughs> so be prepped with really having a deep system knowledge. But other than that, Tanner's pretty forgiving on like story structure. Um, Tanner will talk to, to NPCs. Absolutely. Um, But mostly he's trying to get stuff from them to move the plot forward. I don't think he thinks of the NPCs as real. I think he sees them as like video game people who the right dialogue choices, like give him more information about the place. And that's, that's, that's it. Um, so I don't think he'll form any meaningful relationships with your NPCs, but give them interesting clues because he likes that. Give them interesting things to say. He loves talking to people outside the dungeon about what's inside the dungeon. So giving your NPCs lots of insights on the dungeon, that will make them interesting to him and make him want to engage with them. Uh, and then combat is RPG combat. Again, know the mechanics. Uh, try to be at least as good as him. Um, because again, that'll be disappointing for him. Man, this the, this question is like the most insightful thing that that we've ever come up with on the show. I feel like, like, because that's not my perception of myself at all, which is so interesting. I, we don't have time to d- digest that, but man, uh, lesson learned number one: ask that to your players or your GM, maybe. <laughs> wow, I, I feel like I need to go think about some stuff. Can you see it, or am I off? No, no, you're you're accurate. It's just like that, you know. It's 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 like hearing your voice on the radio. It's like, yeah, I can recognize that's me. I don't think I sound like that, you know. But that's. I think you're fun to run for. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely fun to run for. But I I would prep things very differently for you than I would for me. That's very interesting because I don't see myself as like such a power gamer, really. But like, maybe I, I am. No, I don't think if, I don't think you're looking for like advantages or like um, exploits. I think you're just looking for okay. I'm playing this dungeon. Let's learn about this dungeon. Let's go through this dungeon. Yeah, I think maybe I, I value the game part of the RPG more than a lot of people do. Yeah, that's fair. And I think I value the RP more than I think I do. Yeah. Wow, that was insightful and revelatory. <laughs> All right. So lesson learned one: ask that question. Lesson learned two. Um, when you have a fun idea like the 14 room hex crawl and a friend riffs on it and changes it, be really open to that because magical things can happen. It's it's I think of that story where everyone's supposed to like bring their best vegetables to the stew and then everyone kind of chinses out because they don't want to to 
you know, let everyone down and then everyone lets literally everyone down. Mm-hmm. Um, let let people bring their stuff and, and be enthusiastic for it because I was 2% annoyed when you didn't use my layout. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, man, he didn't. Oh, and then when you did what you did and I was like, oh, wait, this is actually, this is, this is really good. This is interesting. Ooh, um, let yourself be open to other people's ideas, even when they're riffing on your stuff. Yep. And then one last lesson learned, um, you're not bringing uh, an adventure to the table. You're bringing a toolbox. So make sure that you put all the tools that you're going to need for the session in that toolbox and bring that to the table. I really have got to stop referring to them as adventures. I want to go back to the old school modules because I think modules does a better job of describing bringing a toolbox. Mm -hmm. It's more like a a Lego set, like a module, right? Yes. Then like a, yeah, I'm sure that kind of came into vogue with like Dragonlance and more like narrative stuff, you know. But yeah, bring bring your module and your toolbox to the table. Don't bring an adventure. Awesome. All right, I'm gonna have to go like stare at a lake or something and do some introspection. <laughs> so, all right, thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned. And we're sharing ours with you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.